Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome into episode 143 of Press Pass. Kayla Anderson alongside Joshua Perry. And we have a new top. 25 AP poll with lots of movement like it seems to be every single week we jump (laughs) on this podcast we talk about a game and then the next week we're also talking about that game (laughs) because it's usually something that happened we didn't expect right significant events this is the year of parody in college football (laughs) it feels like anybody is susceptible to a loss at any moment and I'm here for it Me too, Joshua. Let's go over the top 10 really quick, and then I'll just get a couple, you know, comments from you, and then we'll get into the meat of this program. So at the top, Georgia with 63 first place votes, and then you're going to see your guy, Luke Fickle, and the Cincinnati Bearcats. They have made their way to the number two spot. Crazy to think because we were talking about them at the start of the season and how this could happen, and now we're looking at them, and they're right there. And then they are followed by Oklahoma, Alabama now back to four, Ohio State now in the top five, followed by uh, Michigan, Penn State, Oklahoma State, I'm still suspect about Michigan State and Oregon. What's your thoughts on the top 10 this week? Just first initial thoughts. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I think Georgia does have the stranglehold and they've looked very solid. Um, What was it? Uh, Kentucky that they played this weekend. And Mm -hmm. they were the first team all year to score more than one touchdown on Georgia. Yep. That is a hell of a stat considering that the college football season is more than halfway over. Um, Crazy. So that's the team with the target on their back right now. Great to see Cincinnati up there. They have been killing their opponents quietly because they're not going to get a ton of intrigue and publicity until they get late in the year. They've got SMU who's in the top 25 and then probably their conference championship game is going to have a lot of eyeballs, but Luke Fickle's doing his thing. Um, Number three with Oklahoma, we talked about this, but the change at quarterback seems to be doing well for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it gives them a glimmer of hope. However, their defense is disgusting. They're not good. Um, I don't trust them. Alabama back in the top four makes sense. Obviously, Ohio State is a team that people feel like has some momentum. So them at five makes sense. Now, I think last week it was Penn State, then Michigan. And both teams were off this week. And both teams, they they did a flip-flop in the top 10 there. So Michigan jumps over Penn State to the sixth spot. And I think that has to do... Um, with the fact that Iowa lost. Um, It it gave Michigan a little bit more credibility there. Now, they've got a tough stretch coming up we've talked about before. Starting off with Northwestern here, which isn't going to be a tough game, but they're coming off a bye week, so they got to knock the rust off. Yep. And then they'll have Michigan State in two weeks. Penn State's the same thing. They're coming off of a bye this week. Uh, Be curious to see what they look like in terms of their quarterback situation if Sean Clifford's back or not. You mentioned about Oklahoma State. And admittedly, I have not been able to watch any of them play. I haven't watched a lot either. So that'll be a part of my deep dive into the tape this week. I I usually try to take a look at some national teams just so I'm educated. 
Um, so I'll report back next week if they're still in the top 10. Yeah. I, I, look, we've talked a lot about Mike Gundy and just Mm, the the things that have happened within that program in the past couple of years. And look, it's not taking anything away from what he's done there because I do believe that he's kept them somewhat relevant. Yes. Um, it's just one of those things where there's also a lot of distraction with Mm -hmm. that program that maybe you don't necessarily need. Now he has been more quiet this year, which is a good thing. And maybe that is helping the program get back on the right track. So I'd be curious to see what you get in terms of your deep dive. If they do um, continue to kind of stick around and I'll probably do some investigating myself. I had, you know, I've, I've heard here and there things. I've just not been able to watch like a full game of theirs. So I haven't either. And it's partially geographically doesn't make yep. sense sometimes to catch yep. them. And then, you know, they're just, they're not a brand. They're in the top 10 though. So I got to do some research. Yep. Michigan state came off of a clunky win against know, right? Indiana. Yep. And that one's interesting because Indiana's had a really tough road. And I tweeted about this on Sunday, just kind of looking at the weekend in the rear view, but Indiana's faced four teams in the top 25 this year. Um, I think the top 10 actually. Yeah. So they had Iowa to start off with. They played Cincinnati, they played Penn state and they've played Iowa um, or Michigan state. Excuse me. Michigan, you're right. Yeah. So four top 10 teams, I guess, top 11. Um, that's wild. And so there, there may be a better team than their record would show. They've got some issues. I'm not trying to be an apologist here, but uh, that's also alarming for Michigan state. They're coming on a bye week now, but the the stretch that they're about to go on where they still got to face Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, that's going to be tough. And then Oregon, um, out there on the West Coast, doing their thing, um, would like to see them look a little bit more dominant just for the sake of my Buckeyes, but they're winning games. Yeah, and look, I don't know what to to make of the Pac-12 this year. There's there's some positives, and there's still – a lot of room for growth and I will say teams do beat each other up in that conference and I won't deny that and and I can say that firsthand because I've pretty much watched watched every single one of Washington State's games this year which Mm -hmm. in the in the past because of my location I'm not really able to do but I've gone out of my way to juggle a lot during my Saturdays. Yes I do stream those I actually use Fubo TV I use my brother's account Nice. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Um, and so I'm able to watch a lot of those games because, you know, I anchor and put together shows on Saturdays. Sure. And so I'm juggling a lot. But I wanted to make it a point this year to watch Washington State just for the sheer fact, yes, because I'm a Coug, but also I wanted to really get a good grasp of the Pac-12 this year. And I will say they beat up on each other. And, you know, Washington State has now won two in a row against first was Oregon State, a team that had the best record at the time in the Pac-12. And then they beat Stanford, which has just been all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a team like Oregon, I really still don't have a real good grasp on what this team is because they did lose to, I believe, Stanford Yeah. Um, earlier on this season. But then you see that they get a win against like an Ohio State and you're, you're like, what is this team, right? Right. You just don't know yet. So that's, I think that's a lot of college football. There's, there's some teams in my opinion. And uh, I think Ohio State is kind of an example, even though they lost to a really good competition. 
Um, I do think Purdue is a lot better than what their record showed, but like it's Iowa to me, Iowa is still a team that when they're playing their best football, Mm -hmm. they are a college football playoff contender. When they're playing bad football, they can lose to a team like Purdue. And I think a lot of teams in college football are like that right now. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And that's just like you mentioned at the top of the show, just the parody right now. It's just at an all-time high. And that's why I feel like if Georgia somehow can get rattled, we really don't know what is going to happen in terms of how this is going to play out. Yeah, that'll be crazy because it depends yeah. on who rattles them too. Ex- exactly. And I keep getting more convinced that they are really that good of a team because after I watched them play against Kentucky this weekend, look, I have a lot of respect for Kentucky, a lot. And it was interesting to see though, because Kentucky's defense is actually pretty good. Yeah. And it was interesting to see that Georgia, even with a Stetson Bennett, was still able to to do their thing on offense as well. It's not fabulous by any means, but it's getting jobs done because their defense is just so immaculate. I mean, Georgia's got to find a way to screw it up, right? Like historically, I would think so. That's kind of what they do, isn't it? Like they'll they'll right. make it all the way up to the end, right? And then they'll find a way to mess it up. I mean, I hate to be a pessimistic when it comes to like Kirby Smart and the program, but yeah. bro, like you haven't proved it. Like it, it's not it's not played out how it's supposed to play out in the last several years. And until it does that, I'm not going to go all in. I'm just not. Yeah. I feel like that's where I'm kind of at with them too. And and that's no no disrespect. No. Because no. they're the best team in the country right now. Absolutely. Um, but they got to see it through. Yes. And that's the toughest part about it. I've been I've been in the locker room where we've had the target on our back 2015. You yep. remember that year? Um, we were we were the team yep. that everybody wanted to beat. We were coming off a national championship. We had some of the best talent in the country. We were that team. It's hard to see it through. Yeah, no, you're right. And and so I, I just, I love it though. This year has been so fun. And I just feel like every week there's just something new to talk about. And I just continue to, I think this is one of my favorite seasons in terms of just not knowing what to expect. And we're still not even, you know, halfway there. Like For we're sure. right, we're right in the middle here now. So I'm um, a big Big thing that helped happened this past weekend. And look, I'm not really surprised. I had heard rumblings of that this could happen. We've talked about this guy too. We have. We've talked about it so many times. And Ed Orgeron, look, they beat Florida. They upset Florida this past weekend. Now, Great. let me jump in on that. Yeah, go for it. Because the, the locker room, I don't know how much of it was coach himself, but they uh-huh. deserve a lot of credit for that. Sure. Because they half of their starters, I think like 15 of their starters, are done banged up weren't in the game plan they got like 60 scholarship guys available right now correct yeah and they won and so that's and that's a good point I mean whatever it I I don't necessarily feel like it was like let's rally around coach O at at this point I don't know how much he has the program really believing because I I would have to guess that those part of the reason those players have heard right that that yeah part of the reason he was fired I think is because the locker room was an issue they yeah, exactly. Well, so he is, um, him and LSU, if, if y'all are listening and haven't heard this, they came to an agreement that they are going to part ways after this season. So he is going to coach the remainder of the season. And the crazy thing is there's a lot that went into it. I was also hearing that, you know, things were just 
in terms of him being the face of the program, he it wasn't a good look, right? He was yeah. bringing in females all the time. Yep. He he and his wife had gotten a divorce, and he's just kind of been on. Uh, he's a bachelor a, again. Yes, he's a bachelor again, which there's nothing wrong with that, but you no. got to keep it professional. Yes. And it's just not what they wanted, and there's a lot that goes into it with what happened in terms of all the stuff over the last couple of years, right? Yeah, and they, I mean, the Title IX thing, I don't, yep. you know, he wasn't like fully implicated, but there was some stink on him from that. There was. Um, the, the fact that the on-field product wasn't necessarily great. Um, there was a conversation about coordinator hires where, he admitted that he didn't interview some of the coordinators that he hired after yeah. um, the national championship year where uh, Aranda left and Joe Brady left. It seemed like he just kind of took recommendations from people and just hired guys yep. without really doing the due diligence. Um, it's That's the kind of stuff right there that should get you fired regardless yeah. um, because that's professional malpractice. Like if you give a damn about your players, you're yep. going to make sure that you're hiring the right coaches and you're going to personally vet them. Um, you're exactly. not just going to take recommendations. And that's, I love that, how you said that, because it's really, to me, it just seems like he's just not into it, right? Yep. It's, he's just not 100% into coaching LSU football. And look, that's it's <laughs> one of the biggest names in college football, has yes. been for a long, long time. And if you're not going to give it your all, if you're not going to give your players your all, that's a disservice to that program. So it felt like two things to me. It felt like a Louisiana guy who had reached the pinnacle was the highest paid, most famous guy in the state. Um, And he was kind of resting on his laurels after a national title. Right. Right. The other thing it felt like was a guy who was a career defensive line coach in an interim, but Mm -hmm. was never a coordinator you know, didn't fully have a ton of responsibility on his plate in a situation where it actually mattered. Like he was coaching with house money a lot of times as a head coach in his career. And it feels like that bit him in the ass too. Cause then he got successful. And, and then the Peter principle kicks in where you're promoted to the level of your incompetence. The success came. And then we realized that he was incompetent to do the job. Yep. Exactly. And, and look, I think, like I had mentioned, this was something that everybody saw coming. And that's why he did a press conference on Sunday. And look, yep. it's like he didn't seem like this was the end of the, the world. I think he was even asked, like, if he's going to coach next year at all. And he was like, no. Like, immediately he was like, no. Yeah, he's going to sit home and collect checks. Right? Are you kidding me? And guess what? He's getting owed in his buyout. Something like oh, 17. Almost 17, po- yeah. a little, oh, uh, almost $17.5 million. Yeah, I wouldn't be coaching either. Like, I'd take some what? personal time. I'd go, if I were him, this is a very crass thing to say, but I'd be out there in the bars and the clubs doing what he was already doing. <laughs> you know, I'd get my life situated <laughs> and figured out. And then once I did all right? that, I'd, I'd, I'd consider going back. But that's, right? you know, he's he's independently wealthy at this point based off of the buyout alone. Like Gosh. he doesn't have to coach again. That is incredible. Just yep. mon- the money. And he currently, if you did not know, folks, he is currently the second highest paid coach under mm. Nick Saban. So mm. there you have it. Um, oh, real quick, before we move on, though, I do want to ask you. So yes. with now having two vacancies after yes. this year, currently USC is still a technically vacant job. Um, what What do you think? I mean, in terms of what is the best job? Um, I think that USC is a tough place to coach, uh, for a number of reasons. Okay. 
Um, one of them being that there's so much going on in LA, mm-hmm. right? So, and, and when USC is great, like they get the attention, but you have to really earn that attention back in LA. Sure. Um, so that's tough. I also think the proximity to talent is definitely a challenge where yeah. there, are, there are players all over the state of California and there are players in uh, on the West Coast. But I think you can build with great quarterbacks out there. I think mm-hmm. you can find some offensive linemen um, with the last names that are really hard to pronounce out there. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful. No, like no. I, I think those, those guys are great players and yeah. they come from a culture of toughness. Yeah. Um, and so you can do that. I think there are some good skill players, but if you're trying to develop a full roster, you probably want some guys from Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, yes. Texas, right? And so it gets a little bit more difficult there for LSU. It's right in their backyard and you can own, you can truly own Louisiana, which has great talent. You can yeah. dip into Alabama, Mississippi, and Florida and all that. Get your talent there into Georgia. Um, and then the other thing about LSU is I think that um, they it's political, but it's not on the same level as some other programs. It's high profile, right. but it's still Louisiana, right? Right. The, the biggest obstacle, I think, to that job is the amount of talent that you're competing against week in and week out. Like you feel like, Within two years of being at USC, that thing is a college football playoff contender right away. Yes. When you're LSU, you got to contend with Florida, Georgia, yes. Alabama every single year. Yes. Right? So it's, it's a meat grinder every single year. Let me say this, though. What's going on down there and out west is having a really unique impact here in the Midwest because okay. James Franklin and Mel yeah. Tucker are guys right now whose names are swirling sure. in terms of potential hires. James Franklin's name has been mentioned for either job. Yep. Mel Tucker specifically for the LSU job. He coached there under Nick Saban as a defensive backs coach. So it'll be right. interesting to see what kind of impact these, uh, these vacancies have on the Big Ten. Real quick, with my opinion on what is the, the best job in terms of, I mean, there's a lot of ways you could look at that. I think the job that's easier to get going and then get to a national championship right now, I think when you look at talent and and what these programs have and what they have access to, I think LSU clearly has had the bigger name in the Mm -hmm. past several years and has been more relevant. However, like you had mentioned, you're competing with the Nick Sabans of the world. He's not retiring anytime soon. You, now you've got Kirby as well. It, the SEC is a juggernaut. And the Pac-12, while they do beat up on each other, if you are USC and you can get the right coach in there and you believe you're the right coach for the job, I really do believe you can get some of those Cali guys to stay. Yep. Because right now, those Cali QBs are going to the SEC. Yeah, and they're coming to the Big right? Ten too. Ryan Day's yes. getting them. Yes, they are. And, 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 well, Ryan Day's got a guy out of California, a guy out of Arizona. Those guys should right. be at USC right now. They should. They should. And so if you can find a way to do that, and there is ways, um, then I think USC, you can get there quicker. Um, I agree. And so I, you, you're right, though. There's other stuff going on in Cali, in L.A., but there is also USC football that at one time was a very big deal and can somehow get back to that. It's just got to be the right guy. Um, okay, moving on, because I know you're just thrilled to talk about this in more depth. We, 
I believe you said last week that um, Iowa had a little small chance of going down to Purdue this weekend because yeah. it just happened to have those Boilermakers just happened to boil the blood of those Hawkeyes, have their number. And look, this defense gave up 24 points to Purdue, um, tying for the most by an Iowa opponent in 29 consecutive games. The offense totaled its lowest scoring output in a home game in 10 seasons. What the heck went wrong? Yeah, it was a combo platter of things. First off, (laughs) I said it last week, but Jeff Brom specifically, when it comes to Iowa – has had their number in his right. four seasons, I guess fifth season now, at uh, the helm, right? So I think Oof. he's just he's got those cats figured out. Yeah. Um, the name David Bell should probably be a more widely known name. He's a wide receiver for mm-hmm. Purdue that went off for over 200 yards in that yeah. game. Excuse me. Um, he is really good, and he performed like he's really good. Purdue yeah. has had few issues moving the ball up and down the field. Where they've had issues – is converting in the red zone and actually turning the football over. But in terms of moving the football, they've been able to do that. What they did this time was they scored in the red zone. They protected the football. Mm -hmm. Um, Iowa's defense did not take the football away. I said Purdue protected the ball. It's a big part of their game plan because it puts their offense in great field position to get get some more bites at the apple. Now, this is probably the most troubling thing for me, though, is... I was complimenting Brian Ferentz, who is the offensive coordinator, uh, Kirk Ferentz's son for Iowa on his play calling abilities offensively, because I thought Iowa was really doing a good job of creating opportunities to take chances down the field and capitalizing on them. Mm -hmm. Um, This was not one of those games. And I think it is crystallized in the sequence they had where it was a third and two and they ran a quarterback sneak. And then on fourth down, it was like fourth and one and a half. They ran a quarterback sneak again and didn't get it. That's not creative. That's not imaginative. That is poor play calling. And he hadn't done that all year. So I think it was just they got him, you know, kind of the right situation for the upset. The other thing that's tough is when you're coming off of an emotional win over a great team, it's hard to rebound. I can remember back to my time at Ohio State in 2014. Absolutely. We played Michigan State on the road. It was uh, They were in the top 10. We were sitting outside of the top 10. This was our opportunity to kind of really get back into the race um, to, to the playoff. And we won that game by multiple scores. And then we go on the road the next week to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And that was a clunker of a game for us that we won by a touchdown. We probably should have won by more. Yeah. So it's it's really difficult to rebound. And the thing that I said is that probably would have been a better game for Iowa had they Uh gone on the road because you create this different environment and a different conversation. It's us against the world, this, that, and the third, and they weren't able to do that. See, I was, I'm glad that you kind of broke it down because I think when people saw this upset, and they were like, oh, I told you, Iowa, you know, Iowa shouldn't have been at the top. Iowa, you know, and I think it, there's so much more you have to look into. Mm-hmm. And it really it really does, and I'm not trying to make excuses, but it really is a thing when you're coming off a big win and you're then maybe playing, I don't know, down a little bit, or maybe you're just the... I mean, Alabama did it a few weeks ago. Shit. That's what I'm... <laughs> yes, absolutely, exactly. And and this must be the year for it. It yeah. must be, it must be uh, contagious, right? 
Yeah, and I mean, it's 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 a twofold thing. I said it earlier. Like, I think a lot of teams when they're playing at their best, they're contenders, and when they're not, they're susceptible. And and yep. that's an example. But I don't think people realize how good Purdue actually is. They're in the top yeah. twenty-five now, right? And they deserve right. to be. But they played really tough, really, really tough against Notre Dame until David Bell went out the game and then Notre Dame was able to kind of blow it out because they didn't have a ton of offensive production. Their defense has been really good all year. And I think they possess one of the best defensive players in the country in George Karloftis. He's an impact on every play, even if he's not making the play. Um, Purdue is well put together. Yep. So if you were going to pick the two best teams right now in the Big Ten, who are they? Ohio State for sure. Okay. Ah. I know is, that I mean I, I just I just honest gut opinion. Does Penn State have a healthy quarterback in this equation? Okay. Okay. Yes. Because if they do, yes. it's I'm gonna Penn say, State. Okay. Okay. If not, it, it's Michigan. Yeah. That's that's what I was gonna guess you were gonna say. Yeah. So So okay. I think that's what it comes down to. I think Michigan's really they're well put together. Um yeah. Penn State with a healthy quarterback, I think they've got all the makings of a really good team. Okay, finally. My hmm. goodness, down in, in my neck of the woods here in Tennessee, the volunteer state was anything but the volunteer state this weekend. So Tennessee hosted Old Miss in what was Lane Kiffin's return for the first time to Rocky Top since he so magically just disappeared one night and said <laughs> that he was no longer going to be the head coach at Tennessee because he was taking over USC. And so, you know, there was so much hype building up to this game, and rightfully so. I mean, Lane Kiffin is hilarious. He's he's done a great job of, you know, building Old Miss back up in terms of bringing in recruits. I mean, he's got a swag about him. He's annoying sometimes, but I, I kind of give him credit for how he gets the job done. But Tennessee fans hate him, and rightfully yes. so. Yes. I mean, the man screwed their program for years. I mean, the after effects of that, Joshua, have been – enormous and i'm not saying it's just him but the program spiraled after that um so anyway this game was actually pretty good and and tennessee give tennessee credit because josh heupel has got this offense rolling their defense isn't as bad as we thought it might be it's a little bit surprising that they're kind of on the right track but they hung with mississippi or sorry yeah old miss And it wasn't until about 54 seconds left in the game, there was a lot of kind of flopping going around. Um, It just, there was a lot of delays. And I guess the Tennessee fans had just had it with it. And they started throwing crap on the field and it just became a mess. And for 20 minutes, the game was delayed because they were throwing golf balls and mustard cans and anything you could think of down on the field. And it became a dangerous situation. Um, they're now being fined two hundred fifty thousand uh, for that incident, but I wanted to know because you had obviously heard about it. Like, what were your thoughts when you heard this had happened? You know, during this game and the last like fifty four seconds of it. Unsurprising from that fan base in a lot of ways, um, yeah, because they they've been a testy fan base in the past. <laughs> um, it's now I will say whoever threw that mustard. <laughs> That was pretty damn good. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. But um, no, it's a fan base that's had its troubles with people who they don't necessarily agree with. And I'm, I'm reading Kirk Herbstreit's book right now. 
yeah. um, out of the pocket, which is a pretty good read if you're, you know, you followed his career and you're mm-hmm. a football person. But he mentioned when game day first started going on the road that they went when Peyton Manning was uh, playing at Tennessee. Yeah. And he, um, you know, he was having a, a, a Heisman type year and they did an on location show and they were kind of, you know, talking about the game, this, that, and the third. And, and uh, Tennessee ended up losing to Florida and Tennessee fans weren't exactly happy. And then they felt like ESPN was campaigning against uh, Peyton Manning for the Heisman um, in favor of Charles Woodson. And yeah. so there were some issues there. And so next time they show up, Tennessee fans are throwing stuff at them mm-hmm. um, to the point in, in other fan bases had done this, but to the point where they had to change their set and put up protective netting around it. Right. So people couldn't throw stuff at them. Um, so this is a decades long tradition yeah. for a Rocky Top. Right. Maybe so. that's where they got their name. I mean, they're just, yeah. a, it's just a Rocky situation anytime you go over there and look, that story is really interesting because I was wondering the first time I was able to see a game day set when I covered you guys in Dallas for the college football championship. And I remember seeing like that netting because you can't see it on TV. No, it's hard to see on TV. It's really hard to see. And so I was just shocked because I was like, what is this? And now that you tell me the story, it's really funny that that just happens to stem from Oh, yeah, those Tennessee volunteers. Oh, Rocky Top. Oh, Rocky Top. And, you know, Kellyanne Stitch, she works in Knoxville. So she's seen firsthand how crazy these fans are. And they are. And look, even on social media, like, you got to be careful because they will attack. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, luckily she's had a good, she's had a good uh, experience down there so far. And I'm so happy for that because it, it can go either way. But, you know, those fans, they can be brutal. And, and obviously this was a situation that got way out of hand. I, I felt it was in a way very overshadowed. Uh, it overshadowed the game, which I, I kind of am bummed about because I really do think Tennessee has some good things going right now for the program. Well, let's talk about that uh, that final play, though. Oh, please. What was My that? God, just what a lack of that? situational Come awareness. Come on, right? I've never seen something well, you, like that. Well, and you know that that wasn't their quarter, that Hendon Hooker had left the game, right? Yeah, that was yeah. old Joe Milton, who's an oh, old God. Michigan transfer. And uh, <laughs> it's just like... I don't know, man. I don't. I just don't know how you you make that decision in that situation. Either. Like you have to, and that's the thing about backup quarterbacks. Sometimes as they come in, they're not necessarily in tune with the game. Um, that is an example be. right there. You, well, yes, your your whole job is to be in tune with the game, right? Yes. Just in case you have to come in. Right. Like if I were a backup quarterback or a backup of any sort, I would be watching, listening every second of what was going on, especially if a game came down to that type of situation, yes. I'd be right there figuring out, okay, what, what's going to benefit us the most? How am I going to do this? How, if I come in for some reason, you know, what's going to be the best um, thing that I'm going to be able to do? Like that was just, just awful. Well, a lot of times nowadays too, the backup quarterbacks are wearing headsets. So it's not like they're not hearing all the communication during the game when they're not in, like, they are privy to much more than anybody else in the program is. So it's just, that's a, a wild situation there, but it's a fitting ending to kind of a crazy little drama there. It is. It is. And you know, it, 
we will talk about it all week here. It, it's just, it's such a headline. And I am interested to see though, moving forward, you know, what happens with this Tennessee team. I'm not sure the status of Hendon Hooker, but uh, he has been really good for them since being named the starting quarterback. So it is something to see uh, how that kind of develops here. They, they look like they could be a bowl team this year. So uh, that'd be good for them. Yeah. Fans get your act together, but uh, you know, a close, almost win for Tennessee there. Okay, Joshua, anything you're looking forward to this week? Um, let's see. We got a couple of games in the Big Ten. I think the we do, yeah. Uh, Purdue is playing Wisconsin, so that'll have some implications okay. over there in the West. Yep. Ohio State in prime time against Indiana, who took Michigan State down to the wire. So yep. That game could get a little bit interesting. Um, don't know what else I have outside of that. Those are your games, huh? Yeah, well, we got some other games. I, I, I need to look at our our little release here just so I can make sure I'm giving some of the other teams love if I'm going to do this <laughs> the right way. Just leaving out all your Big Ten teams, and they're going to be like, what the heck, Joshua? Yeah, I know, I should not Come do on, that. bro. Um, Illinois at Penn State. Okay. Maryland at Minnesota. Northwestern at Michigan. You know, light schedule. We got some teams off this week. Yeah, I haven't really looked clearly at, like, everything that's going on um, in terms of big games. I don't really know. I'm I'm looking right now. The slate's not too hot. I'm not going to lie. I don't think it is. The slate's not looking too hot. Oof, yeah. It's, it's, you've got, like, USC, Notre Dame. Okay, Um, so that's got some, some... it don't, history always, to it. Yeah. And then you've got, you do have Tennessee, Alabama, which has history to it, yes. but not in, not in the recent years of, of, you know, Tennessee yeah. being relevant in that game. Right. So, but other than that, folks, there's not a lot on the slate, unfortunately, but I'm sure we'll have drama to talk about next week here on Press Pass. Joshua, where can they go to follow you, my friend? Follow me at RIP underscore JEP on both Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. You can follow me at Kayla Anderson TV. As always, we appreciate you subscribing. We appreciate you tuning in. Hope you, hopefully you've learned some new stuff this week and you'll join us next week for another edition of Press Pass. Enjoy college football this weekend. Take care.